Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Leslie. And welcome to Quince. A little sweet. A little tart. And a little unexpected. Today is July the 15th, a Friday, in the year of 2016. And we jettisoned the word of the day. We decided to do things a little differently from now on. We'll see how it goes over. So jettison, and you've used that a few times recently. Yeah. Jettison means that you got rid of. Yeah, dumped it over the side of the boat. Oh, yeah. it's a nautical term. I think it's a nautical term. So we've decided we'll do things a little different. Um, and if you've been listening to us all this time, uh, you do know that... Um, Beth is a postcard person, number, num one of the many things that she is, and I'm a hand spinner and hand knitter, and into books and paper and all kinds of things, and we've decided we might want to talk a little bit more about that sort of thing for a we, while. Yes, we do have a passion for yes. paper. Pa passion for paper and passion for knitting, and we really think that we can talk better about things we're really enthusiastic about. I think that's a great idea. So that's what we're going to do. So now we're going to go into a little suite. And a little suite is about projects. And I'm all about knitting projects. And different things that uh, knitting and spinning uh, I've just finished a, uh, a hat shawl, and I'm in the process of making a little shawl called Reina by, with some unplanned peacock yarn. We talked about this last week. I have three more rows left. Oh, that's beautiful. It is. It's really, really pretty. It's an extremely easy pattern. I'll put a link to it on Ravelry. It doesn't look it. Yeah, I know. It looks very impressive. Uh, but it's very, very simple, and uh, it's got a really nice style, and um, the yarn that, mm. the pattern is for a variegated yarn. It's beautiful. Yeah, and this does have some slight variegation. I rarely make patterns over again, but I might make this one, because it was so easy to do, and it also is so nice. Those would be nice gifts. They would be very nice gifts, yep. And uh, the yarn is uh, one of um, Unplanned Peacock's colors. It's called Gummy Shark. Beautiful. Yep. And uh, it's a really fun to knit with. The other thing I have been doing is exploring the internet. And I found, well, I did finish the um, Hapshaw. And I found a booklet for free on Ravelry of all old sh shale variations. Now, this... Um, we wavy pattern is also called feather and fan, but the the original name for it I think is old shale. 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 S H A L E, like shale, hmm. um, like a mineral or uh, type of rock, and the uh, and it may be I guess maybe the wave pattern might be what some of the shale um, variations. And the geological the geological pattern. pattern. And, uh, but I found a book, um, by a booklet by Mary Spanos, free on Ravelry, of several variations on this pattern. Because I've made four or five different um, 
uh, different garments because I just love this. It's this very simple lace pattern. And uh, I think it was the first lace pattern I ever made. So that's available. I'll put a link to that. Um, she's got, she has it as baby blankets, but you could make all kinds of things um, with it once you get the stitch pattern. Were you surprised to find that for free? I was. I was really, and I was excited. Um, I'm trying to figure out how many. There are quite quite a few different ones. Um, and it was, they were knit by the members of the Wednesday Afternoon Knitting Study Group. And then turned into a collection along with a, uh, a pattern for really cute baby blankets made from the sample swatches that they did. But you can use it for blankets, scarves, shawls, sweaters, hats, mittens, socks, anything you want. Because um, when you set up your garment, all you have to do is set it up in multiples of stitches that use this, that this pattern will go with. So you can make anything. So you can make anything. Uh, so if you've got a sweater pattern that you particularly like, and um, you get, can get the stitch count right, you could make the sweater with this pattern, and that would be gorgeous. So that's one thing I've found, and we're going to be talking about the 1920s today. Oh, one of my favorite periods. It really is. And I was poking around, and I found a crocheted sweater uh, that was uh, an actual 1920s pattern from, uh, put out by Fleischer's Yarn. And um, I have some old um, advertisements from Ladies Home Journal and places like that, or different magazines like that, and they would actually put the pattern in the uh, advertisement, different patterns. Oh, like a gift? Yeah, like a gift, like in the magazine. Like a coupon or yeah, something. Yeah, so to encourage you to use their yarn. Oh, and was that a common yarn, Fleischmann's? Well, uh, there's a lot of, I had never heard of it until I got these um, advertisements. And it was quite a big company uh, for, uh, it's no longer in existence, but um, I'd never heard of it until then, but uh, apparently... They uh, were pretty popular with Ladies Home Journal anyway, because they advertised quite a lot. But this is the sweater. I think it has quite a modern look. Oh, it's very cool. It's very 1920s, yeah, too, though. Yeah, it's 1920s, but it does have a little bit of a modern air to it. Mm -hmm. Oh, it'd be, it would be very cool. It would be very yes. cool. Yeah, I may have to make it. I'll have to think about it. It's done with a um, gauge of 19 stitches to 2 inches or four rows to one inch. So I would say it's a fingering weight yarn. It's a light yarn, a fine yarn. Because we obviously can't get this 1920s yarn anymore. So we're gonna have to use something similar uh, to can, make it. Can you ever find antique yarn? Sometimes, not usually that old though. I have found some vintage 60s yarns. Is it still stable? Yeah, uh, I made a, um, a gorgeous sweater out of some 1960s yarn that I had for sale at the shop for a long time but I had to charge so much for it that um, I wear it once in a while. My, it was a pullover and it had all the, it was uh, a leaf pattern, it was crocheted and I did it in two different vintage yarns and um, it had all these leaves and and it was a lot of fun to do. Leaves on the sweaters and uh, leaves on the sleeves. And, 
So would 50 years be about the life of yarn? Well, I've never found anything older. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. That's the oldest I've ever located. So, so I don't know. Um, we might need to do some research. I imagine wool yarns because they have found uh, fibers that are thousands of years old. Well, that's true. Yeah. So I imagine a wool yarn uh, would, unless the moths get to it, would like cotton yarn would probably last a good long time, for sure. So. Hmm, there may be a whole industry we don't know about. Absolutely. Collectibles. <laughs> Collectible yarns, we'll have to see. So, um, and I'll put links to all the stuff. The other thing I did is after a long time, uh, I've resubscribed to Spinoff Magazine. And Spinoff Magazine is one of the magazines for spinners. For a long time, it was about the only one. But um, now there are a couple of other really good magazines for spinners. But I just hadn't gotten it for a while. It had kind of quit inspiring me. So I decided to subscribe again. And I changed it a lot in the, I guess, four or five years. But the, uh, the this is the um, summer 2016. And it has a lot more stuff than I remember from before. Well, how big is, uh, I don't know, the whole collective of spinners? There's a lot of us there out there. There must be. There <laughs> must a lot be of us out that there. you have more than one yeah, magazine. magazine. Yeah, there's another one called um, Wild Fibers. And I think there's a new one out there, and I haven't had a chance to investigate it. I will. Uh, but uh, Wild Fibers is a whole lot about the actual animals. Mm -hmm. And the, they travel all over the world and find all these wonderful things. And she, the uh, editor of Wild Fibers, had two um, articles in spinoff this time. Oh. But yeah, there's quite a few of us around because um, I don't know how long spinoff's been around, but I've been spinning for. 30 years now, 12, uh, since 1984, 85, 86, somewhere in there. That's 30 years. That's 30 years, and when I really got back into it in 1999, spinoff had already been around quite a while. So Maybe with the whole back to the land movement yeah, in, the yeah, 70s. in the 70s. and whatever. Yep, so anyway, uh, one fun thing that they... Um, one fun article they had was fungus and fiber. There is a um, international fungus and fiber symposium. What does that mean? <laughs> I, I'm imagining, you know, sweaters that make you itch. <laughs> no, it's dying with mushrooms. Oh, that yeah. sounds very... Yeah. We picked mushrooms today. Really? The orange, um, the kind you eat. Oh, okay. Yeah. What are those called? Like shallots or something? Yeah. Um, I kind of know, but I'm sorry. I shouldn't have yeah, said that. Right. Except that's that right. they were such a gorgeous color. Yeah. Well, I bet you could uh, die with them. I'll be done. Yeah. So I thought that was just really, really cool. It's taking place in Canada this year. They do it every two years, and they have dyeing workshops and guided mushroom forays. Mm-hmm. Which I, you know, would be just super cool to do. Yes. Yeah. And uh, there is a, they're fill up this year. 
already. Um, you know, because October's only a couple of months. And I don't know how many spaces they have for, um, but so if you want to do it, be planning for two years from now because I think it would be an interesting thing for a, a natural dyer to do. But I don't know if you can see those colors. Oh, yes, yes, the colors beautiful. Are just marvelous. Oranges and reds. Yeah, and, and some grays and some really. I wonder colors. if they have to be non poisonous. Mushrooms, if it matters. Yeah. yeah, they didn't really go into details about the mushrooms. They were talking about the symposium. But um, I think it would be very interesting to mm. get involved in. Now, I don't know about the mordant. See, a lot of times with natural dyeing, you have to, to get really good colors, you have to use mordants that are heavy metals, oh, yes. which are not 100% safe for the environment. Oh. And I don't know... So that might be more poisonous than the actual mushroom. Wow. So, and then there's some great stuff you can buy. They have tell you about new products in the um, fiber world, and they have some book reviews, lots and lots of advertising. <laughs> Is it an online magazine? Uh, no, it's it's you. I I downloaded the Kindle version. You can get it's print and ebook. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've gotten to the point where I don't love magazines laying around. Oh, me neither. Look at this house. Yeah, I, I just don't enjoy it. I, in fact, I didn't sign up for a magazine that I got a pretty good um, rate for because it was only in print. And I just couldn't bring myself to buy it. The world is changing. Yeah, so. All right, and then we've got uh, a really nice, good article about how to avoid over twisted yarn if that's a problem that you have when you're spinning uh, she's got it's a pretty good uh, pretty lengthy article and a lot of um, good advice and I don't know if you remember and I don't know how if it got out of the fiber world that there was a sheep in Australia that they found that had been loose by himself they called him Shrek <laughs> and he had when they found he was a merino, and they found him, he had this huge amount of wool attached to to him because he'd been running around for five or six years. Oh my! And um, they finally caught him. Well, there's an article on how that happens. How the it's it's basically about the differences between the American way of using of taking care of a herding a herded animal and the Australian way of taking care of a herding, herded animal. But they found five or six of these. Well, so what happens when they shear them? Well, they it's usually just a big mess. Mm -hmm. But uh, this last sheep they found had a fleece that weighed 90 pounds. Oh my, compared to... Maybe 10 or 12. 10. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, normally. And um, one of the... Um, there is a, a kind of a sidebar article in here. So a lady did get one of those fleeces from one of those sheep and how she did spend some from it and the thing, the challenges there were because you know the, the, of course I guess most of Australia is fairly dry oh yes yeah so it's it's not like the biggest problem if you had a sheep here that um, didn't get sheared on time and uh, he would probably mold Yes. And he'd probably get skin infections and fungus and some real problems there. That would, And he probably would not live that long. 
So who knows how many of these sheep actually get away in Australia and they don't find because they something got them or they just didn't make it. I would think the heat. The heat, would yeah, be. would be a problem. But there's so there's been like five or six in the last ten, six or eight years that they've found, and of course it makes the news. Right. Yeah. And then another thing about Australia is herding with helicopters. Mm hmm. I don't know if you saw that when you were there. Um, no, but I have, I have stations. heard. Yes, yes, yes. I've seen maybe uh, some pictures of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, some of the stations are huge. Yeah, well, yeah, huge. they were talking about the... Um, I the mean, size of West Virginia. Yeah, you know, thousands of acres where we might have a average farm of 420 acres, and they're talking thousands. Well, no, they're talking square miles. Yeah, yeah. I was on one station where I helped... Um, just for a couple days, and it was 25,000 square miles. Wow. Now, the state of West Virginia is 28,000 right. square miles. So, you know, you're going to lose a sheep or two in oh, all that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then an excellent, excellent, excellent article uh, by Donna Rudd on um, eight ways to spend alpaca fleece. Uh, the really excellent part about it is that she takes, she t describes different types of fleece and how to handle them. So, uh, so many people want to spend really, really fine fibers all the time. And what she's saying here is select a quality fleece, but be aware of that it's okay to get a quality fleece that's not quite as fine. And it will, you can spin it this way to get this result. And um, a different micro, it's called micron counts, uh, the fineness of the wool, and, or the, of the fleece, or of the alpaca. And she has a lot of different ways that she um, processes it by hand and gets it ready for spinning. And a cute uh, alpaca with hay on his head. <laughs> and uh, spinning from the fold, um, doing it uh, on combs, doing it on carters, just a lot of different ways to deal with it. And that was an excellent, um, well, that was my favorite article in here, because she brought up a lot of good points. Now, if um, it's not as microfine or mm -hmm. whatever, does that mean that it's not as comfortable to wear? Well, with alpaca, it's going to be soft. Right. Now, when you're talking, there's a huge difference in sheep's wools. Uh, you can get a, a merino that is just is so fine that you uh, would think it was alpaca, all the way to the coarser stuff that you'd make rugs out of. Mm -hmm. But every, all of it has its place. Oh, yes. You know, so. And then there's a fun article, Spinning Tales in Northwest Slouse. Slouse? Slouse? Uh-huh. And um, Cambodia. Yeah, and there were a whole lot of, um, they went into this um, northern part of the country interested in the um, fiber. And they actually found a uh, traditional funeral going on. Mm. And the um, son of the man that died agreed to allow them to take pictures and film so that he could preserve it. It was something that is not happening much anymore. So that he could preserve this tradition for his children and grandchildren. Wonderful. And so there's a picture of the 
uh, coffin. Oh my, interesting looking coffin. You'll have to put a link yeah, to that. Yeah, I'll put, I'll put a link if I can find a, um, a picture. Uh, it's made by hand. Almost looks like a bassinet. Yeah, or a ship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's made by hand. The color and fiber have a lot to do with the funeral. Uh, they wrapped the body in a um, shroud that was red. Always? Rightly. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and the traditional thing. And they put um, white handkerchiefs on certain places. So it was really interesting. And of course we like the uh, stories because we fell in love with Colin Cotterell's Dr. Siri Talbot. How do you say that? I don't know, but you're doing a good <laughs> job. <laughs> we, we found out, our, our friend Kathleen found out about these books, um, I don't know, three or four years ago. And I found them at the Floyd Library and just blazed through all of them. They are, the uh, main character is, it takes place in uh, communist Laos in the 19, late 1970s. And the main character is the only coroner for the, the entire country. And he has some very entertaining um, secondary characters and, and there's a murder in each one. They're um, delightful. They're delightful. In fact, I need to read more. So yeah, yeah, I've read them all. Were they hard copies at the I point got or e online? I got e-books, mm -hmm. but I bet they have them at the Will you hook me up on my Kindle? Yeah, we need to do that. Yeah, because it's really, really fun. So that's another thing we'll talk about. And uh, there's lots of other things. Um, there's a how to make a pelt out of, or how to make a rug out of a fleece rather than a sheep's skin. They give the uh, how to do that. And I'm going to make this Chinese tile scarf, so I'll talk more about that later. Lovely. But it's a beautiful lace um, scarf, and I've got some really nice yarn to do with that. So, uh, growing indigo in Indiana. Say that three times fast. Yeah. But indigo's beautiful stuff. Um, we're going to be talking about 1920s. There's a article on caracal sheep. And I, yeah, this is a breed of sheep. It's a very old breed from Russia, I think. And the interesting thing about it, it's probably the oldest breed of domesticated sheep. Um, in the 1920s, they used to make Persian lamb mm. collars and things. It came from these sheep. Oh, yeah. Um, they, it was the pelts. And as a court, it, the grown sheep has a coarser texture. And it's almost like what we call a hair sheet. And so some, uh, some of the wool probably isn't usable at all, but the rest of it you could use for outerwear and rugs. And they, they're getting fairly, it's a heritage breed, but they're getting fairly popular and they're kind of pretty. Oh, yes. Who yeah. knew? Huh? Who knew all these different yeah. sheep? But there's a, they, they do have a picture of a, um, what's another word, astrakhan? How do you spell some of that? A-S-T-R-A-K-H-A-N. That was the other thing they called it. They called it Persian lamb or astrakhan. And, um, Persian lamb I've heard of. Yeah, yeah, I had too. And so it was a... Um, and you can picture in your mind those 1920s ladies. Oh yeah, with, the, with, with, the, that. with that fur collar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they... Um, 
actually the sheep like right with the lamb right when it's kind of dreadful really the lamb right when it was born um they would kill it and take the fleece ooh, ooh. because he get the the short and the, that's the only time it was fine and curly my goodness so that must be why they've they quit doing it. They're not doing it anymore. No. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, well we, it wouldn't be very cost effective. No, that's yeah, true. You know, so. Um, I mean, you, unless they were very expensive. Yeah. I'm, I imagine they I imagine were. I they probably were. Yeah. So, uh, there's also a um, rerun of the Olio de Dioschal. And I made one, and I cannot find it to save my life. Mm. But it, it's a really fun um, motif style. You knit the motif, and then you knit a different direction, and you knit back and forth, and then you uh, make the rest of it. It was a lot of fun to do, but I couldn't find it, which makes me mad because I want to know where my shawl is now. <laughs> ah. And then they go over people that do hand spinning for a living in other countries. That was a really good article. And a lot of the people that are doing it are working through um, American distributors. Or American distributors have gone to these other countries and set up these um, um, workshops for women to be able to make some money. So it's probably almost 100% women. Almost 100%, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and they're really, you know, it's more, it's not like sweatshop type stuff. Mm-hmm. It's um, these people are getting a larger percentage of the money than they would otherwise, and maybe even working from their own homes, working or from their in own a village homes with their children right there with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I was talking to a woman today from Cameroon mm-hmm. in Africa, cool. and that is her main focus. She's over here studying for a year, and her main focus is entrepreneurship mm-hmm. for women. And the industries, and it sounds like that's exactly that's what you're right. saying. Yeah, very much. And it's getting to be more, more and more. I have a few Facebook links with people. I think one's called the Darn Good Yarn. Um, they have um, think theirs are Oriental yarns that they um, have this group of women that help them, or that work for them, and they get paid for doing this. And, and the spinning in the Himalayas is also about the same type thing. They have a cashmere craft center and all of these women are spinning and then it's being distributed to America. And they're working their little hearts out. There's a few, okay, and then there's, oh, all sorts of things. Freewheeling, do-it-yourself, um, and the electric eel wheel. There's open source patterns for these type things. And open source means free. Oh. Somebody has made up a pattern or a, pro- or a program, usually, and they put it out online. And the reason this particular fellow is doing it is he wants improvements to his pattern. So he's got all these people building these things and making improvements. Do-it-yourself bobbins, which a lot of people ask me about. They buy an antique wheel and then they can't find bobbins for it. And then a spinner that is also an underwater archaeologist. There's an article on her. So that's spinoff this month. Sounds good. A lot of good things going on. All right. A 
lot of talking about knitting and spinning, so now we're going to talk about a little, um, what is it? A little tart. tart. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, quince is quince still is, quince. Is still quince. And Sweet. you're going to talk about your hero. Well, you know, he, I'm not sure about hero being the right word. Okay. Calvin Coolidge, our 30th president, was a very unique person. Mm -hmm. I fell in love with the state of Vermont when I was about seven or eight and he of course was a very prominent Vermonter mm -hmm. and that's when I started reading about him and studying and he's just a rather amazing person. Yeah. The man ran in election after election I think it was 19 of them and he only lost one and that's wow. when he ran for Board of Education and he didn't have any children yet. And a few people told him that's why they didn't vote for him. Oh. And other than that, he just, he always won. He never put down his opponents. He, that just was not his style. Right. And I like that a lot about him. He was the only president born on the 4th of July. Uh-huh. Yeah, 1872. And he died when he was 60. Oh. But, yeah, just a very interesting... Young, yes. yes, it was young. Yeah. I know. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, the other night, I did a postcard, uh, a show at the Postcard Club. Right. And so I had a PowerPoint with about 35 slides of postcards. And started along with with the his village where he was born mm -hmm. it was called Plymouth Notch mm -hmm. in Vermont just a small little village and it was I think about the fifth generation at that point ah. of the Coolidges yeah they had come over from England and they were all involved in politics in some way whether it was justice of the peace or serving on the state senate. Mm -hmm. um, but they all had their hand. So when he came along, there were two children in his family. He had a younger sister. They sent him off to um, a, cat, a Black River Academy for his high school years. And of course, that's common to this day sure. in Vermont. Yeah. Some of the counties aren't big enough to have a high school uh -huh. so they pay for the kids to go off to boarding school uh -huh. and so he went to Black River and then went to Amherst College in Massachusetts uh -huh. and apprenticed after that as a lawyer yeah so that's what started with him so in my postcard show I, I showed postcards of all those different places. Yeah. The Academy and at Amherst in Northampton, Massachusetts, where he ended up, uh, his home, mm -hmm. his boyhood home, as well as, uh, and this is another thing interesting about him, he was a true Vermonter. He really didn't like to spend money. Yeah. And so even right up through the time he was, uh, president of the Senate in Massachusetts and was lieutenant governor. 
they rented their home oh. in Northampton. It was a big house, but they rented one half of it. Hmm. And he always said, well, yeah, why not? You know, of course, he'd hop on the train and go off to Boston. And he never really had his own place until after he left the presidency. And in 1929, mm -hmm. they bought their first house. Wow. Isn't that funny? Sure. Yes. Yeah. So what did it, was he a lawyer? He was a, a lawyer, but he got into politics got pretty in. fast. Okay. Yes, and started, uh, you know, just moving up the right. ladder. And yeah. he was governor of Massachusetts at the time he was elected to, uh, to run as Harding's vice president. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, most people had never heard of him. He, of course, he was known as Silent Cow. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was very reticent. He was not yeah. somebody that <laughs> talked much. On the other hand, he married Grace Goodhue, who was from Burlington, Vermont. And she was a graduate of University of Vermont, mm -hmm. way back, turn of 1900s, turn wow. of century. And Grace was beautiful, yeah. friendly. Great conversationalist, loved animals, mm -hmm. and was a very snazzy dresser. Yeah. And that was the one thing Calvin loved to go shopping with her and spend money on making her look good. Well, that was and cool. this was the 1920s, so sure. it's those styles, those straight Wonderful dresses, clothes. beautiful hats. Yeah, wonderful Just, clothes. Mm -hmm. yep. So they they were a good match because yeah. he needed somebody to get them sounds through. Like, sounds yeah. like she was perfect. Yes, they they as vice president, they used to have to go to a lot of dinner parties sure. in D.C. Back then, that's what the they sent the vice president on yeah. things like that. And he never would talk. He always seemed a little grumpy at these parties. And somebody said, you know, Mr. Coolidge, why do you even come? You know, and he said, "Well, you got to eat somewhere." <laughs> <laughs> so, another thing with him with eating that I think's rather touching, when they were in the pres uh, in the White House, they started off there because Harding died yeah. in office out in California, mm -hmm. and they had to reach Calvin and Grace and their two boys were up in Vermont at his father's home mm -hmm. and they didn't have telephone right. or electricity in mm -hmm. this home and they had to reach them. Yeah. You know, found, your president, found somebody you know it. that's right. And came in at two in the morning, knocked on the door, woke him up and he came down and they're like, Harding's died, you are now the president. His father happened to be the um, justice of the peace, mm -hmm. so he swore him in. Aww. He's the only person who's ever been sworn in as president by his father. Oh, that was sweet, though. Wasn't that? I that special. Yes. And then typical Calvin, he said, well, I guess that's all. And he turned around, went upstairs, and went back to bed. <laughs> of course, the next morning things started so getting to, crazy, and yeah. they ran a telephone line, and right. and by the day after that, they were on the train and back course, to Washington. Back to Washington yeah. And then he did win re-election right. then himself 
1924. But I was talking about the food. Yeah. One night late at night, I guess he couldn't sleep. And you know how the president's family's up on their own floor yeah. of the White House. Well, he had wandered down in his night clothes, perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, that's how I envision right. it. To the kitchen at the White House. Mm -hmm. And he was fumbling around in there. And I guess the housekeeper heard something and happened to be around. And she came out and found him. And she's like, Mr. President, may I get you something? And he said, gee, I think I could just have a little piece of cheddar cheese. <laughs> <laughs> so she fixed him a plate. And yeah, sure. Yes, yes. No. Unassuming. Very unassuming. No. His presidency, a lot of things happened. Well, there was. I'll tell you what. He Things that I do like about him. He was very much always for women's suffrage. Yeah. That was, all that was going on, mm -hmm. prohibitions, the, the aftermath, and the aftermath of, aftermaths of World War One. Right, yes. And the changes in women's status. Yes, and he was very much a, a fan of civil rights, Yeah, I guess, I'm not sure that that's not the term they used no, at that time, but he said the soldiers, the black soldiers that served in World War One, it was disgraceful how yeah. they were treated, yeah. and he he always was a big proponent of yeah, of that, was, yeah, and the, and the American Indians yeah, that was, was very important to him. While he was in, they, he made them citizens of the United States as well as citizens of their tribal nation. I didn't realize that. I never, yeah, yeah. isn't that interesting? Yep. So there were a whole lot of things he did. Now some of the things that I have trouble with was he, he was um, very much a capitalist pro-big business which, you know, I mean I don't have a problem with that but when it came to federal money, he withheld it, especially the big flood of 1927 that devastated. Um, it was the Mississippi. Right, yeah. And he did not feel that federal money should go for that. And of mm. course, those of us in this day and age, we can't imagine how a Absolutely. state or community could even recover without federal aid. Absolutely. So, yeah. you know, there were there were a few things yeah. oh. um, along those lines. But he was like that. Yeah. He was not a stereotype of one or the other. Well, well, people are complicated. That's right. People are always complicated. So you can't really put a person in a box. Though we do tend to do that, I think, yep. with I our think presidents. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 this particular person has this as a heritage and that. So. Now, Ronald Reagan loved Calvin Coolidge. Had yeah, his picture up in the Oval Office. Interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. Because most people pretty much considered him, Coolidge, a rather um, ho-hum. You know, yeah. nothing great, nothing bad. It yeah, was just... Yeah, sounds like he did more than I expected. Oh, I think so. I think yeah. so. And there's yeah. been... But after Reagan revived him, yeah. some really good books have come out on really? Coolidge. Yes. Okay. If 
you ever want to borrow any of my oh, okay. uh, a collection Coolidge Library, okay, oh, okay. I do, yes. That's cool. And on the First Ladies and yeah. some books on Grace, yeah. too. Yeah, she's a one that had the Norwegian Elkhound. Yes. Yeah. Oh, she loved dogs. She had yeah. beautiful yeah, dogs. Yeah, I've seen some wonderful uh -huh. pictures. And she of had dogs. some a fluffy white, big, white. What are those called? Was it too, a like a Sammy and yeah. that that yeah. type. And they're the only uh, first family that ever had a raccoon as a pet in the White House. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a little different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have a Norwegian Elkhound. That's why. Named them up, so mm -hmm. And they love their horses, too. horses too. He had one called Mistletoe. Oh. And when I showed a postcard of him on it um, the other evening, somebody came up afterwards and asked if it was a Morgan horse, uh -huh. which of course is a Vermont breed. Yeah. And I did not know the answer to that. Yeah, so. I'm not sure if you could tell by looking. Well, this person seemed to think. Yeah. That yeah. it was, but yeah. she knew a lot more about horses than yeah. I do. Yeah. So no. that's the that's the fun thing about giving a talk. Yeah, are possible. the questions? Yeah, good. absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this was for your postcard club. Yes, and, um, at Christ's? Mm -hmm. at the yeah. Reynolds Homestead. Yeah. We have met monthly for fifteen years now. Which is awesome. Isn't that awesome? Yep. We became postcard and collectibles ah. last year because. Postcards, even though I know that there are still a lot of people who collect, the numbers are going down. Uh, you talked about your periodicals with spinning. Yeah. Um, for you know, decades, there was Postcard Collector Monthly, the magazine, yeah. mm -hmm. that would come and I would sit right down and read it. I mean, I was yeah. so excited to sure. get it every month. It went out of business. Oh. Yes, and now there's you know, a paper and collectibles yeah. and paper postcards, you know, but it always includes things, you know, like comic books and, yeah. I mean, perfectly good things, but yeah. not what but I'm not interested. Not totally postcards. Not yeah. totally postcards. There's still bars postcard yeah. news, but yeah. it's not quite the same. Oh. Mm -hmm. yeah. But postcards as an industry... There are still the big shows, as oh, you yeah. know. You've gone with me before yeah. Yeah, there's to sell big it. Shows. Mm -hmm. yeah. Have yeah. a big one in Richmond in yeah. well, I know November. there's a big one in New York. Oh, yes. Although I wouldn't dream of trying to bend at it. But right, be cool right. In Orlando. Oh, okay. In fact, in Florida, there's pretty much a postcard show every weekend Wow. In January into February uh -huh. in Central Florida. Yeah. When I lived down there, that was That's like paradise. <laughs> yes, to go to the shows. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Very cool. Mm hmm Very So cool. I will, you know, give you some postcards yeah, we'll to scan, pictures take pictures. Yeah. And um, I don't want to take up too much time on, no, no, on Calvin Coolidge, but I certainly... Yes, yeah, like I talked about 45 minutes with um, while I was doing the presentation, and that yeah. time went so quickly. Oh, sure. Well, it's interesting. Mm, well, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Here was um, a neat quote yeah. that Calvin Coolidge said that I think is rather pertinent for we, today. Yeah, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. I sometimes wish that people would put a little more emphasis upon the observance of the law 
than they do upon its enforcement. Good point. Yes, he's a very moral person. Yeah, good point. Very, sure. very moral. I like that about him. Yeah. Now, his mother-in-law never liked him. Oh, <laughs> poor guy. Oh, yeah, they were very strong Democrats, the uh, good use yeah. in Burlington. And they always say, yeah. oh, no, that Republican Coolidge. Yeah. From, yes. Him. Even him. when he was in the White House, she's like, I don't know if he'll ever become much. You know, oh. I mean, she <laughs> thought her, her daughter could have married better. Yeah. So <laughs> it's funny. But Grace would just keep the peace because yeah, that's the kind of person. Like, it sounds like she was treated well, and um, she certainly had an interesting life with him. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, now, yes. did she live considerably long Longer. after him? Yes, she lived until, I think it was the late 50s or maybe even 1960s. She yeah. was a big baseball fan. She ah. seldom missed a Red Sox game. Cool. Yes, they'd let her throw out the ball sometimes. Ah. She was considered their, like, number one fan. Yeah. Uh -huh. She was a teacher of the deaf. Oh. Yes, that was her career and what she was doing when she and Calvin met. Oh. Yes, and yeah. got married, I think it was 1904, 05, uh -huh. that period. But that was her career. Cool. Yes. Well, I wish they'd had more time together. Yes. Yeah. Well, when their son died, while they were at the living at the White House, yeah, he was playing time. tennis in tennis shoes without socks and he rubbed the blister got infected ah. no penicillin or anything yeah. back then and yeah. he died that really was hard i mean they had two children john and calvin yeah. and mm. young calvin but john lived to the year 2000 really yeah he was a big force in vermont into getting plymouth made into a state historic site mm -hmm. and the whole it's a fun place if you ever go to yeah. new england go up and spend a day in the village cheese mm -hmm. the old cheese factory the cool. beautiful church congregational yeah. the union church the old store mm -hmm. yes. did he have did the son have children or there's still descendants in the i think so family? yes yeah. yes he was mm -hmm. he was married and there are some people, but I'm not so sure that they're Coolidge's. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Daughters, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, very interesting. So we learned something. And um, we've been uh, on about the, the twi 1920s. We have a favorite TV show. Yes. It has nothing to do with Coolidge, except that it's kind of the, the um, contrast between the flapper era and the um, you know the, um, the zoot suits and all of that and Mr. Coolidge is interesting to me mm -hmm. you know because he was always considered rather retiring and stayed and yes and, uh, and then all these flapper people around yes it's very uh -huh. interesting so we've been watching the Miss Fisher mysteries aren't they wonderful they're absolutely delightful they're set in uh, New Zealand right no no Australia, Australia. Melbourne Melbourne, yeah, Melbourne Australia. Australia that's right they're set in Melbourne Australia and it's just fun to see the clothes and oh, the houses absolutely gorgeous clothes. absolutely gorgeous and and the um, the mysteries are entertaining Mm -hmm. As well, I'm, I've just started season three. I went, I went back to watch season one and two again. And this is on Netflix, of course, because I'm too cheap to pay for television. 
Yeah, I've watched them all. Yeah. yeah well, I I'm, just I'm, love I them. I just started season three today, so that's what I do when I'm knitting. Well, I started by reading a couple of the books. These I are based on a yet. book series yeah. I found at the Patrick County Library yeah. years ago. And I liked them okay, yeah. but not enough to keep reading. Yeah. But when the series came on, and I watched one, and it was like this familiar tug. I forgot that I had right, read sure. the books. And all of a sudden, I realized. And I said, oh, this is one of those situations where the movie, the television show, is better right. than the book. Well, the girl that plays Miss Fisher, I she's think her so name's cool. Essie Davis. Mm -hmm. She's just marvelous. She's magic. Mm -hmm. And uh, you totally believable. Mm -hmm. Everything about her is just totally, totally yeah, um, you want to go out there with her. <laughs> yes. But all, all of the characters are really good. They've got really good actors. And the crime scenes. Now, that yeah. is that, um, you know, the dark alleyways oh, and yeah. mm -hmm. the guns, yeah. the shot. I mean, it's it's very interesting. Yeah. Very yeah, 1920s. Yeah, they've done everything from have a murder in a carnival to... Um, uh, the last one in season two, they were in a, lo a hunting lodge up in the mountains, mm -hmm. and it was snowing. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and it was mm -hmm. snowing in July because everything's backwards. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yes, I've had Christmas in Australia. It's oh, very odd. Very odd. Yes. Yeah, so. Trains. I love all the trains. Yeah. Because of course that was the mode of transportation, oh, yeah. Yeah. both here and yeah. there. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. Um, interesting to see a little picture. Right now, we're going to do a little unexpected, and this time, a little unexpected is going to be a book review about a book that was written in 1924 mm -hmm. by an author that we both adore, who is Agatha Christie. And the book I read was *The Murder of Roger Ackroyd*. And it's a Hercule Poirot. Oh, you said that so well. Oh, yeah. I've uh, been dreading that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's, um, I, th I think he's called everything from parrot to, uh, I don't know what <laughs> in this particular. It's set in an English village called King's Abbot. And I really like the uh, description. And it may ring a bell for some people. Because um, he says, uh, we have a railway station, a small post office, and two rival general stores. Able-bodied men are apt to leave the place early in life, but we are rich in unmarried ladies and retired military officers. Our hobbies and recreations can be summed up in one word, gossip. <laughs> so, yes. of course, it's a murder mystery, and it's, um, we can't... If you've never read it, I can't tell you the whole, can't tell you much about it without giving everything away. But the narrator is a Dr. Shepherd, which is unusual because he used um, his um, Hastings was uh, usually they were in third person, but right. Hastings occasionally, who was Perot's cohort, um, his uh, Watson to um, mm -hmm. to uh, Holmes, uh, his Watson and. Um, Sometimes, sometimes he did first person. Um, yes, so that was odd for yeah, her to. Yeah, this was a, this go was a real departure, 
And I think it was probably one of her better ones. Well, that's what they say. Yeah, I think it really was one of her better, because there is, is a... Some of her twists can seem artificial to us now, you know, because she really was a groundbreaker mm -hmm. writing these mysteries. She, she was like one of the first, or if not the first, to come up with this genre-type fiction. And so this twist that she put in it is really unique to the time. Well, and they made it into movies oh, and, yeah. I mean, all kinds of things. Absolutely. And she was churning the books out one, at least one a year oh, yeah. during that period oh, yeah. in the 1920s. Yeah, yeah, the, the man in the brown suit, that was yeah. right around then. Yeah. And a whole lot. Mm -hmm. A lot of the Mar Miss Marples are have that yes. 1920s feel if they even if they were written a bit later mm -hmm. well i guess the the perot ones were her first yeah and then did she started intermingling them with miss marple i think they kind of she wrote both of them at the same time right, after right. the perots yeah. right and then she had the beresfords yeah and tuppence and tommy yeah yes yeah, and they it. were a little later i yeah, think yeah probably so she wrote mm -hmm. one and said it in the first one i remember reading it was set i guess in world war one oh it may have may have been set now, it, it had to have been World War One. Yeah, yeah, it would Yeah, have. because they were um, young spies, mm -hmm. you know. And then they, uh, or oh, that's just, after, right. just after World War that's One, maybe. That's right. Yeah. And then, um, then she wrote a later one after they were old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which was interesting, too. Yeah, she was something. And I have, you know, I probably have 30 or 40 oh, of her paperbacks. Yeah. Right, just sitting in yeah. a collection. Um, I always say Agatha Christie saved my sanity. Okay. After I went through um, a separation. Mm -hmm. And it happened in the summer, one summer, many, many decades ago now. And my son and I headed from Vermont down to Topsail Island in North Carolina. Yeah. And we didn't have very much money, but we were staying. We were going to be guests of my sister and her family at the beach. Yeah. And so we packed a few clothes, whatever money we had, ate biscuits all the way down. <laughs> We'd stop, you know, and get... Uh, yeah homemade biscuits and I had a bag a big paper bag shopping bag full of Agatha Christie paperbacks oh. somebody had given me yeah and I went and sat in my beach chair and just started reading them I'd reach in the bag read it put it in a bag on the other side of the chair yeah. and I had read 13 of them wow it taken a couple days, you sure, know, yeah. and my son was being taken care of and, and oh, yeah. you know, whatever. But I was just in a fog. Sure. And he came running up to me, this little nine-year-old, and he said, Mom, you've just got to come with me. Please, mm -hmm. Mom. And I put the book down, and I was like, I'll be back in a minute yeah. type situation, <laughs> and went running up the shore with him. 
and the turtles were hatching. Oh my goodness. And we got to stand there in the line with, you know, other people gathered uh-huh. and you stood perfectly still and formed two lines and the turtles went down between oh, wow. the two lines and into the ocean. It was one of the most marvelous things I have ever seen in I my can life. Imagine. That was so amazing. between that's right, between Agatha Christie and the turtles. I got my sanity back, and <laughs> I was fine after that. It was like, yeah, yeah come on, let's let's get going with life yeah, again. Yeah, life is good. Yeah, that's mm, awesome. Yes. So Agatha is, and to this day, if I start to feel, you know, whatever, I say, oh, it's time to read an Agatha. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I really enjoyed. I haven't I haven't read any Agatha Christie in quite a while. Yeah, the books are packed away somewhere because I have them all. And um, when I was looking up things that happened during Calvin Coolidge's uh, presidency, that uh, one of the, the one of the things is she had published, I think, five during the time period. Right. And so I picked this one out because I didn't quite remember it as well as some of the others. And then um, after I read it, I realized how how good it really was and how much fun they are. So definitely Agatha Christie. You have some Agatha Christie quotes. Oh, I do. I do. Well, I have one that's by her, uh-huh. and it's a Perot one. Yeah. It is the brain, the little gray cells on which one must rely. One must seek the truth within, not without. Very good. Which is a very typical Perot yeah, approach. All about, yeah, all all about, about the, the little gray, gray cells. cells. Yeah. Yes. And then this is a quote by Dylan Thomas. Uh-huh. Poetry is not the most important thing in life. I'd much rather lie in a hot bath reading Agatha Christie and sucking sweets. <laughs> yes, perfect. Which I do. I think that Absolutely is... Absolutely perfect. That is my ideal yeah. sometimes. In some of the later books, um, Agatha Christie put a character in that uh, was a writer in the Perot books. And she made her very eccentric, but I think it was herself. Oh. In a way, she she ate uh, apples. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, she she went around with apples all the time. And she had all this hair that would fall down. And she, she did all these elaborate hairstyles. But the funny thing about her is she had a detective who was Norwegian or something. And she said, and in the books, she says, "Why did I do this?" Right, right. <laughs> so she yes. has, well, he was Belgian. Yeah, Perot was a Belgian right, detective, right. so I think which she was, was kind of like making, yeah, kind of making up a uh, making up mm-hmm. this. And she said, "He ought to be 120 years old by now because uh-huh. <laughs> I've been writing about him so long." And she lived in, I think it was 1970, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, And, then and she, became a dame. Yeah, she was dame out of the and she uh, had a, her first marriage was to the man Christie. And I think it was a disaster. Mm. Because she, um, there is a, a in, and in her autobiography, I don't think she even mentions it, but she actually disappeared. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And, oh, that was a big yeah, like scandal Yeah, like 10 or 12 almost. days or something. Mm-hmm. Claimed she had amnesia and she came back, or when they found her. And there's a Doctor Who episode about that, by the way. If anybody want. And the actress that played the part of Agatha Christie in this episode was perfect. Oh, really? I don't think I've seen that one. No, it was that sounds a, like a good one. It was a good one. 
And uh, but the I love the actress. I mean, she was just perfect. And of course, it was a Doctor Who, and it was a crazy big bug, and and that was why she had to black out. And, uh, but it was really interesting. But that was that to this day is a big mystery. Yeah, yeah, they don't know why. Of what and, happened but there to was her? Something. And maybe she just wanted to go away. I think she. Had, I think she. Uh, she had found out her husband was cheating on her. Right. See, it was like me. It was yeah. like me going to the beach exactly. and losing myself in Agatha Christie. Yeah, Christ's. I'm pretty sure. But then she <laughs> married another man, and he was an archaeologist. Uh, I think his name was Madeline. And um, I think she had a happy life after that. And then she did write some of the books that were set in um, um, kind of in archaeology, uh, Egypt and, right, and right. some of the mid middle, mid-eastern Mm -hmm. things, and that was because of him. But she's continued to go by Agatha Christie because that's sure. how the name she had made herself famous. Sure. And there's there's been several good books out about her also. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've read a couple of biographies, and, and mm -hmm. I think she did, um, I don't know if it's an autobiography. I know there's been biographies. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that she wrote and um, so anyway, and I'll put a link to the Doctor Who episode. I can't remember the name of it, but uh, we can Google that. I'm we sure can, I'll, I'll Google that and put a link. But I I thought it was one of the better. I, I'm an old Doctor Who fan, but I do like the new Doctor Who. But, uh, but this one, I thought it was one of the better ones of this particular um, Doctor. Oh yeah, that sounds good. All right, so yes. it looks like we're about ready to wind things up. Well, this has been fun. Yes, and... On uh, my birthday, Leslie. On your birthday. Happy birthday, Beth. It's nice yeah. to share it with everyone Absolutely. out there in Quinsland. Yeah. All right, so our show notes are at quincepodcast.com. We're also on iTunes under Beth Almond Ford or Leslie Sheeler or Quince Podcast. Uh, we have a Facebook page, and uh, we've been trying to make that much more active. And we hope to uh, you will come and listen to us again in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye.